completely unbeknownst to me, my children sang that song for me. Now, I don't say to me, I say for me, because that song cannot be about me. I am not perfect in all of my ways. But uh, today, I can stand here and say that by God's grace, and certainly not because of me, but maybe in spite of me, uh, I get to watch my adult children, all four of them, walk with the Lord. And um, there is no greater joy for a father than that. It has been my highest hope for them for their whole lives. I don't, I don't care what they do on, on this earth. I think God leaves us a little miserable here on purpose that we might long for heaven and not for this earth. So I don't care where they work. I don't care what career they choose. But I do care that they walk with the Lord and find their delight in him. And it's just a joy to see my children doing that. And as we sang it, I was reminded of a verse from Psalm 119. Uh, this is verse 68. That is just a, a psalm, or a verse rather, that, uh, that comes to my mind often. Speaking of God, here the psalmist writes, you are good and you do good. Teach me your statutes. You are good and you do good. He is a good father. Turn with me as, uh, as we're about to pray here to Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 5. We are going to read the exact same verses and look at the exact same verses we did last week. But last week we started there and kind of uh, went off in, in another direction, and then uh, uh, we're going to come back to those verses in, in Ephesians 5 and, and actually uh, take a look at those verses today. Uh, you know, I've been on uh, vacation all week. Uh, we had some family in town. We went to the beach. We are celebrating Riley's uh, graduation. <laughs> Excuse me. And um, uh, you always forget something. So there will be no slides on the screen this week, and that's my fault. But you have an incredibly uh, simple outline there in front of you, so um, that, that shouldn't be too hard to follow. Let me read to you first Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, and then we'll turn just a couple books back to Ephesians chapter 5. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. And Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, say, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you today for um, the gift and the beauty of marriage that Peter describes to us and for us as the grace of life. Lord, I pray that as a church, we might find uh, our marriages to be the greatest delight and joy this side of heaven. That there would be nothing that we see you more clearly in than in our marriages, uh, and that we... Um, we see the church and the way the church relates to you in our marriages, that our children would grow up in homes, uh, maybe, maybe children here present, maybe children yet not born, might grow up in homes where 
uh, where, where marriages might be a picture of joy and delight and satisfaction and that, that our children would see your nature represented in our marriages and would see the church represented in our marriages. And so, Lord, we ask that you would build godly families among us. Lord, we pray also this morning for Mission Church as they um, are navigating, I don't know where they're at with things, Lord. The last time I, I met with Brian, uh, they were still not meeting, still meeting online, not having a building of their own, and trying to meet in schools has proved difficult. I don't know what's going on, but Lord, as I hear more and more of churches uh, known to me that have closed during COVID, we, uh, we just pray that you would give uh, life and joy and hope to that church, uh, a place to meet. Lord, we, we pray for their success in not only discipling believers, but in spreading the gospel. Lord, we pray that we and they would love our communities well with passion and with excitement and joy, that we would not be afraid of, of the world around us, but that we would seek to show your love to it. And so, Lord, we pray that that church would uh, just flourish, that you would grow it, that you would call new believers to yourself and plant them there. And we pray the same here, Lord, that, that we might uh, labor together as, uh, as churches, Lord, and that there might be unity among uh, your church here in Walla Walla and around the world, Lord that we would take that very, very seriously. Lord, we pray for some of our missionaries who uh, we cannot name, uh, but as they continue to do the work of training pastors, um, we, we just want to pray for them, and we want to ask your blessing on their ministry. Lord, we thank you uh, that they report that some of their daughter churches are going very well and that there is growth in the seminary students. Uh, but Lord, as two of the churches that have, have come from their ministry that you have, uh, that you have planted there, uh, as they're coming up on ordaining ministers there, Lord, we pray that you would uh, just give the churches wisdom in proceeding with that, that they would appoint and ordain these ministers, that they would be faithful to your word and to the gospel, and that your, your kingdom would grow, uh, that you would grow your kingdom through them and through, through the work that you do uh, through them. Lord, we pray for this class that's uh, beginning this month, end of this month, and going into July on Daniel. Uh, Lord, it seems strange to think of praying for the safety of students who uh, are going to study the book of Daniel, but that is the reality that they live in day by day. And so we ask for uh, safety for those students and that you would, uh, that you would provide them uh, with joy in your word. Uh, it's interesting that we're praying for the safety of these students while they'll be studying the book of Daniel. As Daniel clearly was not safe, and neither were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Their, their lives were put on the line for their faithfulness to you. And yet, Lord, we see that you were the keeper of their lives and you are the keeper of ours as well. And so I pray that you would give them great boldness and courage through the book of Daniel. Lord, I pray that particularly as I, I think we'll be coming to the book of Daniel soon as well uh, and seeing how to live in a, in a, uh, faithfully in a culture that, that has abandoned you. And so, Lord, we pray the same for ourselves, that it would give us great boldness. Lord, we pray for the pastor of their home church who has cancer, who is beyond earthly treatments. Uh, Lord, we thank you that his uh, healing and future and security are certain in Christ, but, um, but Lord, we continue to pray for him and his family and for his healing should you choose to provide it. Lord, we pray that you would provide for that, that church in this time as well. Lord, we pray also this morning for Ted and Renati Rubish as they are hoping to make plans to come home but cannot do so until they get a visa to 
to continue to minister, and, and they don't have that yet, and there's difficulties. And so, Lord, we pray that you would not only provide that visa, but provide them with plans to come home and uh, get some respite and rest as well. Uh, Lord, may the, the word sound forth from us today. May, we, may the gospel be clear in all that we do and in the picture of our marriages and our homes. Lord, give us open eyes uh, and, and maybe even soft hearts, especially soft hearts, to receive your word today as, as uh, we tend to rebel against your word and against uh, how you have created us and against... Um, we, we make thing in, it into things that they are not, Lord, and then, uh, and then fight against it, and, and that's problematic as well, Lord. So give us soft hearts uh, to live according to your design, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe that Scripture teaches us that marriage is to be the greatest earthly blessing that we experience this side of heaven. There should be no source of greater joy uh, and, and awe and wonder and beauty than that. So my question for you today is, is your marriage that for you? Is it mostly that way? Is it rarely that way? Is it never that way? One commentator here on Ephesians said that uh, marriage starts out in euphoria and quickly digresses to a ceasefire. Sadly, there's probably some truth to that. In 1 Peter 3, 7, uh, a, a passage we looked at last week, uh, Peter calls marriage the grace of life. Not a grace of life, the grace of life. It is the greatest grace that God has given us in this life. And it is a common grace. It is not a grace that he has only given to believers, like saving grace, it is a common grace that he has given to believers and non-believers alike. I think God really wanted to emphasize the importance of this in Genesis when he creates. And we, we all know, probably Genesis 1, uh, six days of creation where God forms the seas and the sun and the moon and the stars and land and plants and animals. And he makes a garden and he places a man in it. And he gives him a task to tend the garden, but part of the tending of this creation that God has made is to name all of the animals. And so Adam goes about the job of naming the animals as God brings them in similar fashion probably as he did in bringing them into the ark in two by two. And, and Adam is seeing a pattern. There's a pair and a pair and a pair and a pair. A pair of dogs, a pair of cattle, a pair of doves, a pair of whatever. Everything has its pair except him. And he's left there before the fall, before sin, before anything goes wrong. And Adam sees that he's lonely, that he does not have a pair. He does not have somebody fit for him. He does not have a helper suitable for him. Don't get offended by the word helper there, because multiple times uh, the same Hebrew word is used of God in reference to Israel. So if God is Israel's helper and the wife is the man's helper, this term cannot refer to the quality of one's being. If it refers to the quality of one's being, God would never be called our helper. But if God can be a, called a helper, we can be called a helper. And so Adam is left there feeling lonely. 
And of course, we know from there, there is sin that enters into the picture. Adam and Eve choose to define for themselves what is good, what is right, uh, where blessing will come from. They eat of the fruit, and everything spirals from there into disorder and chaos and sin and hurt and brokenness. And Genesis 3.16 shows us uh, the, the brokenness of these relationships as God issues what is called the curse. He, he issues uh, this, this edict to the man and, and what this fallen sinful world will be like for him and also to the woman and also to the serpent. And it looks different. For the man, it will be toil in labor. Work was always part of God's design. Difficulty in work is part of the fall. L- uh, women, we're, we're going to have pain in childbearing. But we we get this one part of the curse uh, issued in Genesis 3.16 that's a little bit hard to understand. The Hebrew's confusing, but I'm going to try and make sense of it because it's going to show us the breakdown in roles. Because that's what sin does. It breaks down relationships. All sin breaks down relationships. Adam and Eve attempted to play God, and now the roles are reversed in terrible and catastrophic ways. And the same thing, we see the effect of that in marriage. So in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, God says to the woman, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. It's going to be painful now to have babies. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband is how the ESV translate that, translates that. Some other translations simply say, your desire shall be for your husband. And then God says, but he shall rule over you. This is a hard verse to translate. What does it mean that your desire shall be for your husband? Is this a good desire? Are you going to desire your husband in a good way? I don't think that's what, at all what God is saying here. I think God is revealing to us in Genesis 3.16, as a result of the fall, the brokenness of the husband and wife relationship. And I think what he addresses to wives is a brokenness in the way that they're going to relate to their husbands because of sin. And when he addresses husbands, he addresses a brokenness in the way they're going to relate to their wives over sin or because of sin. I think what God is saying there is that the woman is now going to desire the position of her husband. She is going to desire to lead. She is going to desire to dominate and control and nag and whatever other words we might want to put on these things. But the desire of the husband might be to rule over you. I'm not convinced this is a good thing. I'm not not convinced God is saying it's a good thing that a husband is going to rule over his wife in this way. I think what he's saying is that the husband is going to rule over his wife in a way that is not good. The whole plan for marriage has broken down, and the order of things is messed up. And so here's my question for us in our culture today. Is feminism, as the world defines feminism, Making women happier. And the coordinate question, is chauvinism making men happier? I think the answer is no. Are we seeing marriages become healthier in our world as our world uh, declares 
that there is no difference between a man and a woman, that their function is the same. It's not the same. I remember when my children were little, um, I would come home. Uh, Some of my children are strong-willed, and God is shaping that well. But I would come home, and and some of my strong-willed children would need discipline. And I'd walk through the door, and I'd give them the look, and I'd say, we're going to have a problem if this doesn't stop. And one of them in particular would actually go like this. He'd go, (laughs) it was almost like this reset where he'd shake his head, and their behavior would change. And she would look, Jennifer would look at me and she'd be like, I have been battling this kid all day and you walk through the door and you say one thing and his behavior changes. But you know what? When mom was gone and a kid got hurt, I had no ability to console them. There was a role that I played in our children's life that she was not able to play and vice versa. Bill Cosby loves to make the joke of tra- training up his child in football, right? Teaching him to play football, and he goes off to college, and he scores his first touchdown, and he runs to the crowd, and he grabs the camera, and he looks in it, and he says, hi, mom, right? We just don't play the same roles in our children's lives. And, when, and, and as we see a world that says women should act like men, and men should act like women, or at least that it's okay The question before us is, is it making people happier? And I think the resounding answer is no. Uh, Divorce rates continue to skyrocket. Sadly, there's not much of a difference in divorce rates between uh, those inside the church and outside the church. We've completely abandoned God's design for the home, for the marriage, for relationships, and then we sit around wondering, why isn't this making us happier? Well, we've abandoned God's design. How do we reclaim the joy that marriage is supposed to be? How do we reclaim marriage as the grace of life? Only by living into and according to God's design. If you weren't here last week, uh, you're really behind the curve on this sermon. But I'm going to give you a a snapshot of what we talked about last week. Uh, So just by way of refresher, very, very quickly, last week we saw that submission is glorious because Jesus submits to the Father and everything about Jesus is glorious. It's godly because God the Son submits to God the Father. It's for our good. Submission is not for domination and for bad over somebody else, but for their good. Submission must be voluntary. And submission doesn't speak to the quality nor equality of men or women. It does not mean men are better. It does not mean women are worse. It simply means that that the roles are different. And we have to admit today, as we look at these verses, that the biblical teaching on roles is not palatable to modern sensibilities. The world doesn't like it. Vows are being written. By the way, maybe you didn't know this, but it's not uncommon for a couple to come to uh, their wedding vows and replace those vows uh, away from until death do us part with as long as our love shall last. I'll be married to you as long as my love shall last. As, and really what, they mean, what we mean by that, as long as you make me happy. As long as you make me happy, I will stay committed to you. Marriage is seen as temporary, as disposable. It's normal in our day to have a marriage, let it end, learn a few things, and then have a second marriage, and hopefully it goes better in the end. But the church must not abandon a faithful and biblical view of marriage. And the reason for this is because marriage is the most basic of human institutions. Every other societal institution is built on that. When it falls, everything falls. 
You will never find a church that is healthy and full of broken marriages. You will never find a society that is healthy and full of broken marriages. Marriage is the most basic, foundational uh, component, human institution given to us by God, and everything else stands or falls on that. It's like marriage is the bottom level of a Jenga tower. If you've ever played Jenga with your kids, you don't start pulling pieces out of the bottom first. Everything else is going to fall over if you do. And when marriage collapses, everything collapses. The society collapses. The church collapses. And so it's no wonder that marriage is the front line of Satan's attacks. And so today, we're going to begin in Ephesians 5, looking at Paul's instructions on marriage. He speaks first to women, and so will I. And then he speaks uh, three times as much uh, instruction to men as to women, and so will I. So we're going to spend one week looking at the role of women in marriage, and then we're going to look at three weeks on the role of men in marriage. And before you throw stones at me for this week's message, you should hear the next three. But let's look at the role of the wife first. The first thing that, God, uh, that Paul gives us here, number one, is the principle. The principle, verse 22a. He says here in Ephesians chapter 5, wives, submit to your own husbands. Now, this is not difficult teaching. In fact, nothing of what Paul says in here, at least to wives, he says some pretty crazy stuff to men that's glorious and beautiful that we're going to have to unpack. But none of the instructions he gives to women is complex. It's very simple. It's, it's, not, it's not an intellectual problem that gives us difficulty with this. It's a moral problem. It's a sin problem. The principle is simple. Wives, you are to submit to your own husbands. But it's sin that distorts the idea of submission. It's sin that tells us submission is bad. It's sin that leads men to abuse their roles and their wives. It's sin that has left us reversed in those roles. I would note a couple things about this submission. Number one, it is not absolute and unqualified submission to all men. There are churches that teach that. They are absolutely wrong. It, notice what Paul says here. He does not say wives submit to husbands. He says wives submit to your husbands. It is to your husband to whom you are submit, not to any other husband. It is irrelevant in the marriage who is stronger, who is smarter, who is more educated, who is more outgoing, or who is more dominant. The role of the wife is to submit to her husband. Now, I will share something that I would say, uh, probably going to reserve this for, for later, but I would say the best picture, I heard this from John Piper, this is not an original idea to me, the best picture of what it looks like for a man to lead his wife is the word let's. This is not commanding a wife. This is not wife just do whatever your husband says no matter what you think, feel, or do. That's not it. I think, I think the leadership that God is going to call us to as men is defined, as John Piper said, by the word let's. Let's talk about. Let's think about. Let's dream about. Let's plan about. There are often times in my marriage where we'll have something before us, maybe regarding our children or particularly their education. Uh, many times we've come to decisions in our children's education, and Jennifer says, what do you think? And I said, well, honestly, this is what I think. And we have come to disagreeing opinions. And I've said, but I think what we're going to do is what you think. 
Because what you think here is far better, it's a far better opinion than what I think. It's not having, leadership is not having all the answers, and submission is not having no answers. Good leaders don't think they know everything. Good leaders know when somebody knows better than they do. And often, in fact, almost always, when Jennifer and I have a differing opinion and I defer to her, she was right. So this idea of submission here is just not unqualified obedience. And that's the second point I would note. Now, Peter, in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, he illustrates submission with obedience, but he does not equate submission to obedience. So last week I mentioned that I took to Facebook and I, I asked for uh, what came to people's minds when they heard the word submission. And we heard lots of really, really bad answers. There was one answer that I think was perfect, and it was this, because I think it captures all of what we've been talking about. The, word, the, the answer was accepting someone else's lead. Accepting someone else's lead. What does it look like to accept someone else's lead? Well, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6 illustrates this well. Turn with me there if you would like to, uh, but I will read it to you. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, Peter says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. He says something really interesting. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. How in the world... Could a wife's submission to her husband result in his salvation if he's not a believer? Well, Peter's going to tell us that. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and not fear anything that is frightening. I think in other words, what Peter is saying here, we'll talk first about what submission does not look like. If you use nagging, criticism, anger, taking control, etc., to get what you want out of your husband, those things lack submission. In our house, we define bullying as using bad behavior to get what you want. Wives, do you use bad behavior to get what you want out of your husband or from your husband or to get him to do what you want. There's nothing submissive about that. But let's break 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6 down and look at this picture of what submissiveness looks like. First off, verses 1, to, 1 and 2, your best witness to your husband, whether he is a believer or an unbeliever, is in your humility, purity, kindness, and respect. Number, verse 1, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. Notice again, he says, your own husbands. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the context, conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Your best witness to your husband when he is behaving badly is humility, purity, kindness, respect. If he is not a believer... It is still your best tactic. 
And we're going to see why as we see the picture of God and the church in marriage. Verses 3 and 4 uh, tell us that, that what makes a woman beautiful is not exterior beauty. Now, I don't think Peter is forbidding these things. I don't think he's forbidding uh, adorning, external adorning, braiding of hair, putting on jewelry, clothing. I don't think Peter is saying you have to wear ugly clothes, no jewelry, don't do your hair. Sloppiness is not necessarily godliness. Uh, Proverbs 31, 10 and uh, 22 uh, make it clear that beauty is not forbidden, but it isn't true beauty. I rarely, well, I'm going to say, no, rarely is right, because this might be the only, uh, only time, but I pretty much never agree with Oprah Winfrey. And the fact that I'm about to quote her in a sermon is pretty remarkable. But her grandmother told her as a little girl, uh, her grandmother told her, beauty only runs skin deep, but ugly goes all the way to the bone. And I think her grandmother was right. You can adorn yourself externally and be an ugly person. Beauty's only skin deep, but ugly goes all the way to the bone. And so Peter is saying, your best testimony to your husband, your best witness to him is your respectful and kind and good behavior. I've made it a point to ask every single couple that I've married a question. I tell them, I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you to answer this in your own mind. Don't say it out loud. I'll ask you your answer in a minute. And I say, if, you could, if, if for the rest of your marriage, you could be either loved or respected, which would you choose? And they all stop and they think about it. And without fail, every woman says, I want to be loved. And Paul commands us in the following verses that we'll look at for the next three weeks, what it looks like to love our wives. And without fail, Every husband says respected. Men, your wives would rather be loved than respected. Wives, your husbands would rather be respected than loved. If that seems foreign to you, that's okay. Men and women aren't the same. But Paul's instructions here are to us are that, we, that wives should be respectful to their husbands and that husbands should love their wives. And so uh, our, your best tactic is to, to be respectful to your husband. And then uh, Peter illustrates this. He gives us the ultimate picture of Abraham and Sarah. And Abraham represents the father of our faith and Sarah, the mother of our homes. He says that she, that is Sarah, adorned herself with submissiveness to Abraham. But notice Peter's words. He acknowledges in verse 6, that this can be scary. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling her Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Peter's saying, look, wives, submit to your own husbands. He just got done telling husbands to love their wives, to be understanding with them, to be gentle with them. And, and I'm telling you, we're going to see an incredible picture of what it means for husbands to love their wives. But he says right here in verse 6, I know this can be scary, but don't fear anything that is frightening. Why not? Because Abraham did some dumb stuff with Sarah at times, right? And who was the one who dealt with Abraham? It was God. Ladies, God can deal with your husband infinitely better than you can. Sometimes your job, when your husband is misbehaving, 
is to simply respectfully duck and let God do what God is going to do. Because ultimately, you and your husband are in God's hands. Oh, and God is able to work on me far greater than my wife is. Now, I have said for weeks now that I'm a far better person because of who she is. But the principle here is simple. It is wives, submit to your own husbands. And then in the second part of verse 22, uh, Paul gives us the pattern. That's point two on your outline there, the pattern. The principle is submit to your wives. The pattern for that submission, or to your husbands, I'm sorry, wives submit to your husbands, the pattern for that is as to the Lord. This is also not complex. Wives, submit to your husbands in the same way you submit to Jesus, in the same way you submit to the Lord. In other words, you cannot claim to be submitted to Christ and not be submitted to your husband. Why? Because Jesus is the author of marriage. And if Jesus says, this is how you are to conduct yourselves in marriage, and you do not conduct yourself in that way, you are not submitted to the Lord. I I said last week that submission must be willing. But what happens if you're listening to this sermon and you're thinking, I don't want to be submitted to my husband. This is not what I signed up for. When, When did I sign up for that? The simple answer is when you said, I do. Because contrary to what the world wants to tell us today, it is not the Supreme Court, nor Congress, nor the people who define marriage. Marriage is a grace from God. It is God-designed. It is God-given. And it is God-protected, I believe. We're going to talk about that in uh, cultural conversations. But when you got married, when you said, I do, you agreed before God to be submissive to your husbands as you are to Christ. And by the way, everybody is submissive somewhere. As Paul goes on in these chapters, he talks about how wives are to submit to their husbands, how husbands are to submit to Christ, how children submit to their parents, how fathers uh, submit to Christ in their leadership, how bond servants or employees and how uh, masters or employers are to be submitted to the Lord. There's always submission somewhere. And the reason for this is because, as we've seen in Colossians 1 and 2, as we see in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Christ. As we saw in 1 Corinthians last week, everything has been put under Christ except the Father, which means whatever authority is delegated to a government or a church or a husband or a father or an employer is delegated by Christ. And the boundaries of that submissiveness are are set by Christ. When the state attempts to command the church how and when and where to worship, we are free, as the church did in Acts, to say, no, I'm sorry, you don't have that authority. God has not given it to you. And so it is with husbands and wives. We're all called to be submissive. If you're unsubmissive to your employer or to the government or to your church, or to one another, as we're all called to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, ultimately that defiance is not against those people, but against Christ. And so the pattern is to submit in the same way that we submit to Christ. Again, if that seems scary, 
please hang with me for the next three weeks. I cannot, I, 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 this is an incredible passage given to husbands. And, and wives, I think if you will hang with me for the next three weeks, it will, it will breathe life into your idea of what this means. The way a husband is supposed to love his wife is incredible and beautiful and wonderful. And we've abandoned it in far too many ways. But the pattern, the principle is submit to your own husbands. The pattern is as to the Lord. And then this is where things maybe start coming together. The, the, uh, the question before us is the purpose. What is the purpose for this command to submit to wives? And that's what uh, Paul goes on to tell us in verse uh, 22, or I'm sorry, uh, I think that's 23a. Uh, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. What is the purpose of a wife's submission to her husband? It is the glory of God. It is not about quality or equality or standing before God. Last week, we established that men and women are equals co-heirs of God, of his grace, and particularly of this grace of life, that we have equal standing before God. The purpose is not to speak to the quality or equality of men or women. It is not to elevate men above women or women below men. This has nothing to do with any of that. The purpose of this in its entirety is to glorify God by showing a visible picture of the Trinity. Just as a wife submits to her husband, and children proceed from the two, the son submits to the father, and the spirit proceeds from the two. As the husband is the head of the wife, Christ is the head of the church. We saw all these verses last week, and, and a body that does not respond to its head is paralyzed. A church that is not obedient to Christ is a broken down, paralyzed, spastic church. And a wife who does not submit to her husband, and a husband who does not lead in the way Christ says, is a broken down body as well. A submissive wife honors the Lord, honors her family, honors her church, and ultimately herself. Because the purpose of this is to display the nature of God in the union of marriage. And if, if Christ can submit to the Father, then the picture of a wife submitting to her husband is a picture of Christ. Husbands, do you just feel like I hit you upside the head with a hammer? You should. Because if the picture is that your wife submits to you as a picture of Jesus' submission to uh, the Father, that means your love of your wife is to be like the Father loves his son. we have the much harder responsibility here. That's why Paul devotes so much teaching to it. How did you feel when you sang this morning of God being a good, good father? Does your wife feel that way about you? Is your leadership of her so life-giving and refreshing and good for her that she wants to rise up and call you good? Can she, like Psalm 119, 68, say, my husband is good and does good? Because if her role is to picture Christ, 
Your role is to picture the Father. Now do you feel like I hit you upside the head with a hammer? <laughs> it's a big responsibility. But that's the picture here. That's the picture that's put on display. And it's so important, and that's our fourth point, is the picture. It's so important because this, your home, the way you treat your wives, the way you treat your husbands, is the first and foremost and primary place that your children will see the nature of God. Do you want your home to be a nursery for heaven? Love your wives like Christ loved the church. Submit to your husbands like Christ submits to the Father. The picture's been abundantly clear. But sadly, the church, churches in this submission to Christ often fail of one, in one of two ways. Either the men are so passive in the church that the women take control, or the men are so domineering in the church that the women feel undervalued. And both are tragically wrong. Both are unacceptable. But the same is true of our homes. Men, are you so passive that your woman has to, your wife, the, the word in scripture is woman and it's not derogatory, but we tend to think of it as derogatory in English, so forgive me for that slip. But, but is your leadership so passive that your wife has to step up and take the lead or nobody will? She will resent you. She will. She will resent you for it. Or are you so domineering in your leadership that she just feels absolutely stifled? Like she's not valued, not important. What she thinks doesn't matter. What she loves bears no effect on your lives. She'll become bitter towards you. Then for the next three weeks, we're going to see how you are to love your wives. But, but today, Wives, the call is to submit your, to your husband in every way that is pleasing to the Lord. Don't try and exert authority over your husband in that way, especially not, not anymore, as Paul tells us here, uh, not any more than, than the church is allowed to submit or exercise authority, rather, over, the, over Christ. Verse 24, here's the picture. Now as, as the church submits to Christ, and we would all say that the church is required to submit to Christ in everything, now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, we've got to take that uh, in everything with a grain of salt because it's defined by verse 22, as to the Lord. And so this statement I've made is very, very specific. Wives, submit to your husbands in every way that is pleasing to the Lord. If they ask you to do something or call you to do something that is not pleasing to the Lord, don't do it. But submit to your husbands in, in, uh, in every way that is pleasing to the Lord. This is a serious and beautiful matter. But here's the last thought I want us to have in mind as we consider this. This is a call to everyone. Please, I beg of you, stop seeing this as a matter of exaltation of men or suppression of women. Nothing about this is supposed to exalt men or suppress women. Nothing. Women, your role isn't to submit to your husband because, my notes here don't even make any sense. <laughs> what was I trying to say there? 
Oh, I see. Your role in marriage isn't because you are less than your husband's. Husbands, your role in marriage is not because you are more than your wives. What we are is different. And you have an opportunity to, wives, you have an opportunity to, to, split, to display the glory of Christ in a way that your husbands never can. And husbands, we're called to display the glory of God in a way that our wives never can. We need to stop seeing this as a matter of exaltation of men and suppression of women and start seeing it all as an exaltation of Christ. That this is where people see the nature of God and the nature of, our, of the church and that we, we get to see it in different ways, in the ways that God has created men and women. I would put one final stamp on this message by going all the way back to Genesis. For six days, God creates, and he says, it is good, 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 it is good. And then he creates a man, and for the first time he says, it is not good. It's not good. The man without the wife was not good. The man was the only thing God created that by himself was not good. He left the picture complete on purpose so that men would see, so that Adam would see that it's not yet good. And then he creates a woman and he says, it is very good. That's where all of this starts. That a man alone is not good. But the picture of marriage is very good. How is all of this possible when it's so contrary to who we are, to, to our nature? Well, I, I think to understand that, we have to understand Ephesians 5.18, which is what all of this is flowing out of, where Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. What Paul is telling us here as husbands and wives and children and fathers and employers and employees is all about living a spirit-filled life. How, how is all of this possible when it's so far from our broken, sinful nature? We fill our lives with the Spirit of God. How do we do that? In prayer and in His Word. If you, the only way to accomplish this is by living a prayerful, Bible-saturated, spirit-guided, led, directed life. But the picture is beautiful. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. And in so doing, for our children and our grandchildren and a watching world around us, we put on display the nature of God and his affection for the church. It's a beautiful picture. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, uh, we, our thinking is so often so wrong on these matters. And your word is so uh, different than what we think on our own. And we have reduced glorious truths to wrong things. We think pridefully that uh, we're better than others because we lead or uh, that somebody is less than us because they're called to submit or whatever the case may be. Father, would you, 
Would you break down those things in our hearts and in our minds that are contrary to your word on these matters? Would you make Trinity a place that reclaims joy in marriage, that we might never think of our marriages as a simple truth, but that we might describe and experience our our marriages as euphoria, as the grace of life, the greatest grace of life. Lord, I pray that our children and our grandchildren and our neighbors would see the way we conduct ourselves in our, our marriages and say, I want to be loved like that. I want to be respected like that. Lord, would you, would you make this a church filled with men who love their wives sacrificially as Christ laid down his life for the church, who seek their wives' good and honor and glory and beauty? Would you make it, it so much so in, in this place that our, our wives delightfully submit to us knowing that it always results in their good? Help us to reclaim a picture of what this looks like and that we might see the gospel in it, that we might see that the son submitted to you even to the point of death and laying his life down for us so that we might be forgiven. And and Lord, would we as men take that example and live it out? Not just in a willingness to die for our wives as Christ died for the church, but that there would be a willingness to live for our wives as Christ lived for the church in perfect obedience to the law. May our lives and our deaths, even if necessary, honor and glorify and beautify our wives in the way that you've called them to. Lord, may, may our wives find our homes and this church to be a safe and life-giving and joyous place place where they are valued, a place where we see that they are uh, incredibly and supremely important, where we are not domineering over them, where we do not set them aside as unimportant, but where we understand just how ugly our lives would be without them, that we would see the beauty they bring to them. Lord, would you uh, give our wives a willing submissiveness to that kind of love and leadership that the gospel is pictured, that our children see the glory of Christ both in leadership of husbands, love of husbands, and submission of wives. Let us reclaim and live into the pattern that you have set for us that we might experience joy beyond what we can comprehend or understand, and that it would be for your glory and for the good of your church and us and our children from now and through eternity. And we ask it in Jesus' name.